we are in part three of our series that we're going to go through for the next several weeks called Fruit. Now, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if you know the New Testament at all, this is found in Galatians chapter 5. Christy has spoke the last two weeks. My wife, Christy, if you are new here, she's also pastoring this church with me. She's out of town this weekend. She spoke the last two weeks, did a great job introducing this series. We're going to start in Galatians chapter 5. If you'd like to have a Bible to follow along, there should be a black hardcover one inside the row somewhere. That's going to be the same translation that I am reading out of. The words will be up on the screen, but I'd love to have you follow along in the Bible. I'd love to have you bring your Bibles. Have you, I don't know if you've heard of the U version app, U, Y-O-U version app. So if you go, you know, tell your kids to show you where the app store is. It's a free Bible app called U version. And uh, you can, it's a great app for, you know, if you forget your Bible, you just want to use your phone, you can look up scriptures on there. There's reading plans, there's a verse of the day. Um, I should have got a Psalm 34 scripture memory challenge in there. That would have been awesome. But uh, you can use that as well. But I just want to have you follow along, have scripture be a part of the service here, but also that you read that throughout the week, have scripture be a part of your everyday life. Galatians 5 is where we're going to start tonight, and then we're going to turn to John 15 in just a little bit. But I want to read to you Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. This is the whole... You know, this is the motivation behind this whole series. This is where the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, lists the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.22, it says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is another word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We're going to stop there for a second. I love those verses. I love that passage of Scripture. I love that it talks about what it really means to be in Christ, to have new life in Christ. If you've been a part of church at all in your life, you're familiar with the gospel message. You would have heard preachers or somebody say, well, that's the gospel. And the gospel message is that Jesus Christ, Son of God, came to earth and died for you and me. He gave his life so that our sins could be forgiven. That is the gospel message, salvation through Jesus Christ alone, his death and his resurrection. That is the main event. That's why we're here today worshiping. That's why Christianity is still around. It's because Jesus died and rose again. This is what we believe. This is salvation, eternal life through Jesus Christ. But what I've seen happen in many people is that they would go to a church service and they say, I receive salvation of Jesus and eternity is secure, eternal life in heaven and and all those great things. But but what now? Why, what now while we're living on this earth? Is, is salvation in Jesus Christ simply just a get-into-heaven ticket? Is it just for when we die and go to heaven? And I love these verses in Galatians because it talks about this new life, this abundant life that we have in Jesus Christ starts right now. Right now, there is new abundant life that comes alive in us. Galatians describes that. What life in Christ looks like. And essentially what the Apostle Paul is saying in this chapter in Galatians is that there should be a change in your life when you follow Jesus. There should be a change. There should be something different. There should be a change about you. It isn't just waiting for heaven, but you should start seeing this new life in Christ, abundant life in you right now. And I love that he describes it in verse 24, what we just read, those who belong to Christ 
have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature. It's like we have our old self. And Christy talked about this in the first week of this series. Our old self that was ruled by, the Bible calls it your flesh, your desires, your flesh, that all the things, all the sinful desires that you wanted to do. And when you give your life to Christ, it's, it's like as he was crucified for us, our old self was crucified with Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. And new life, like when Jesus rose from the dead, our new life in him comes alive. And we spend every day now abiding in him, connected to him, living for him. And the fruit of that, when we do that, when we allow our old self to be crucified with Christ and new life to come alive in us, we start to see fruit. Fruit is the result of that. And he lists them here, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So all of us now, we're not going to have a show of hands. You don't have to raise the fan or anything. But look at your life. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, are you seeing some of those changes? Are you seeing some of those results? Are you seeing an increased level of love in your life? Are you seeing more peace, more kindness are you seeing the fruit of this? If you plant a garden, which we've done, Christie's done most of the work, um, one of the signs that you've done it right, that it's growing, is that you'll start to see fruit. You'll start to see things growing. If, you're not, if nothing's growing in the garden, you realize, we must have done something wrong. This must not be working. If you're not seeing the fruit of this in your life, you need to be reminded, you need to remind yourself, the old life has been crucified with Christ, and now you have new life in Jesus Christ. There should be a change. There should be some fruit that goes along with this. And I love that this passage of Scripture kind of lists those. If you're not seeing those fruit in your life, patience, love, joy, peace, all those things, it's not a matter of working harder. Christy did a great job explaining this in week one. It's not a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of simply just being connected with Christ, living connected with Him. I talk about it all the time. Read the Word. Be in the Word. Read your Bible. Spend time praying. This is what it means every day to live life in Christ, to be mindful of Him, to say to yourself every day, I'm not going to live this day for myself anymore. I'm going to live this for Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about these fruit, and Christy talked about love last week, which means this week we are talking about joy. We're talking about specifically the fruit of joy. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15, the Gospel of John chapter 15. Turn there. I have read out of here the last, a couple of times in the last few months. Such a great chapter. But this one specifically is talking about joy. Now, we're going to read some verses in just a second. But before we do, I just wanted to say this about joy. It seems to me that this is a timely message, not only for my life, and I've, I'll talk more about this in a minute. I've seen a, if there's a fuel gauge in our life with joy, mine's been running a little low lately. I'll just, I'll just admit that. And it seems to me this is happening more and more. You look around, and I would say that if there's something lacking in our world today, it's just joy. There's not a lot of joy. There's a ton of bad news. If you turn on the news, it's just bad news. And there's bad stuff that goes on. There's just, it seems like people are arguing. People are more combative, more hostile anywhere, anywhere you go. It's just, you used to be able to go, I mean, it seems like 
you're, you're more likely, I went to, I made the mistake of going to the new Hy-Vee store, which it was like, I think everybody in the world was there yesterday. So there certainly wasn't joy. You seems to be more likely you're going to find short tempers and everyone, it just seems to be that way lately. I've found that in my own life. I have, I'm going to put a picture up there. There's a picture. Can we throw that up there? The next slide there, Charlie. Can you see that? Do you recognize that person? The Chewbacca lady? Okay, now, this is, if, you've, if you don't know who this is, I don't even know her name. She's just known as the Chewbacca lady. This was the most watched video on Facebook, I think a couple months ago. And this lady, I mean, you've seen it. I'm not going to show the video today. She went into a store and bought this Chewbacca mask, and then she posted a video. And then for about three minutes, she's just hysterically laughing at herself. This became the most watched Facebook video ever. And she got on late night shows and Good Morning America and all this stuff. She's definitely having her, you know, 15 minutes of fame. But I heard a number of people talking, and they even interviewed her, and they said, why do you think this video became so popular? And she simply said, I just think people need a little bit of joy. I just think people need a little bit of joy. There was something so great about that that it was just uninhibited joy, and I loved it. I loved it. We, in the midst of bad news, social media pressure and comparison and all that stuff, it seems like joy is dwindling, and I want to talk about joy today because I want to see us increase our level of joy. So we're going to read John chapter 15, starting in verse 5. We're going to read 5 through 11, John 15. And I've, I've read this a couple of times. It's Jesus, Jesus talking here, talking about that he is the vine and we are the branches. John 15 verse 5 says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Perfect for what we're talking about. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And Christy talked about this last week as she was talking about love. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And here's the key verse, verse 11, that we're going to look at today. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That verse 11 again. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let's leave that verse up there for a little bit. My joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, to his followers. And that last verse is so compelling to me. He's saying, all this stuff I'm telling you, all this stuff, abide in me, remain connected to me, follow my commands. All of these things are for this reason, so that, it even says it, I've told you this, so this reason, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. For Jesus to say that, a couple of things. First of all, he had to have been a joyful person right? For him to say that, he had to have been someone who had some joy. Imagine the most down, depressed person you know. We all know some people that are always kind of down. You know, like Eeyore, the old, you know, Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore that just kind of grumbles. We all know people like that that are just kind of 
the Debbie Downer always saying the negative thing, just down. Imagine that really down person coming to you and saying, well, I'm telling you all this so that my joy can be your joy and that your joy can be complete. You wouldn't believe it, right? You, you have to have some credibility to make a statement like that. I mean, uh, if you ever hear me say something like, um, you know what, I want my gift of organization to be your gift of organization. Don't listen to it because there's no fruit of that there. If you ever hear me say, you know what, I'm going to teach a basketball clinic so I can, my basketball skills can be your basketball skills. Don't listen to it. I'm terrible at basketball. Or like, I'm going to teach a hip-hop dance class so that my dance skills can be your, no. Don't sign up for that at all because it's not there. So for Jesus to say, I'm telling you this so that my joy can be in you, he had to have been a joyful person. And we picture Jesus in a number of different ways, but I don't know that I often picture him as smiling, laughing, filled with joy. But he was. He was joyful. He was filled with joy. He had the fullness of of joy. The second thing about this, not only Jesus must have been a joyful person, but Christians should be joyful. Christians should be joyful. We should be marked by joy. We should be known for joy. Our joy should be complete. This is how we should be known for. Think of all the Christians. Just let's just take Minnesota for example. Are Christians in Minnesota known for their joy? I don't think they are. I mean, I, I would say that about me. If people say, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Jeff Kerr or Homestead Church or Christians in Minnesota, probably the first thing they're, they're going to say is, well, I don't think they're going to say joyful. They're so joyful all the time. But that's how we should be known for. That's what we should be known for. That's how people should recognize Christians. They should be the most joyful people around. Imagine if Christians, if everyone thought, Christians, oh, they must be a Christian. Look how joyful they are. That would go a long way, wouldn't it? That would make such a difference if just the Jesus followers would be joyful. That would make such a difference in our world. But this is what Jesus is teaching. This is what he's saying it should be like. Christians should be known for being joyful. As I mentioned, my joy fuel gauge has been running a little low lately. I've just seen it in the last few months. I've just seen it. I am not joyful. I've noticed levels of anxiety over dumb things. I've just noticed myself being short with others and just not patient, being discouraged. And, and uh, all those levels are up, anxiety and discouragement and some of those things. You, I've seen those rising a bit. And the level of joy in my life has been dipping a bit. And my wife, Christy, who is loving and caring, she has noticed this in my life. If you were here last week, Christy said something great. Um, she was talking about love, and she said, if you want to know how you're doing with fruit in your life, if you are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, simply just ask somebody close to you. Ask a loved one. They'll tell you. And, uh, and she said, maybe, they're, maybe they'll be scared to tell you, and then you have your answer. Maybe they'll be scared to be honest with you. Christy has noticed this joy dip in my life, this lack of joy lately. Um, she, has, uh, she has pointed it out to me a few times, <laughs> several times. Sometimes they've been in nice constructive ways, and sometimes it's been more like a, hey, you got to knock it off. You're, you're bringing the rest of us down. I love, I mean, sometimes it's not the easiest to hear, but I love her for so many reasons, and one of the reasons is she just doesn't put up with my crap. You know, if she sees something, she'll say, hey, that right there, you need to knock that off. You need to, hey, you need to 
do better at this. She challenges me. She encourages me. She calls it out. And like I said, mostly it's in a nice constructive way. Um, Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you'd be the same situation as me where you think, I don't know that joy has been the thing that has been marking my life. Anybody agree with that? Where you would say, I've noticed joy has been running a little dry lately. Maybe you've noticed just levels of anxiety. You notice you get worked up about silly things. Things that you used to be patient for, you're no longer patient for. People that you used to be fine with, now they're just bugging you all the time. They're rubbing you the wrong way. Maybe it's people in your family. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. But for whatever it is, you recognize, man, that level of joy just isn't there anymore. So let's look at this again. John chapter 15, what we were just looking at. I want to look at this and talk very practically tonight. John 15, where he talks about abide in Christ. Stay connected with Christ and you will see fruit. Specifically, you will see joy in your life. Jesus would say to you today, if he was here, saying, my joy can be in you and your joy can be complete. So let's talk very practical here in the next, you know, 10, 15 minutes that we've got. This idea of abiding in Christ. We just read that. Abide in him or stay connected to him. What happens when we do that. So whether that's spending time in the Word, spending time reading Scripture, whatever it is, um, praying every day, just spent taking your day, being mindful, having conversations with God, spending time praying throughout your day, that would be very practical ways to abide in Him. What happens when we do that, when we connect with God? Well, I think we get more familiar with who He is. We get to know God a little bit better. We read His Word. We read the promises in Scripture. We read stories of His faithfulness. We get to know Him better. We get to know who He is, what He's like, how He works. We get to know these things. And what happens when we do that? I believe one of the first things that happens is we begin to trust Him more. When we abide in Him, when we stay connected to Him, we begin to trust Him more. If you've ever, how many of you have ever been in a season where you felt like God was asking you to step out in faith? My wife and I have been through seasons like that. Whether it was a decision you made, whether it was a circumstance in your life that just happened to you, for whatever reason, you found yourself being completely unsure of what was coming next, but you had to trust that God was in control. Anyone ever been there? You had to trust God. You took that step. And when you do that and you see God come through, when you see God provide, maybe it's, some of you here are, we've talked about this when we take the offering. We talk about tithing. Tithing is in the scripture where we give 10% of our income back to God through the local church. Maybe you've been in a season where, that was like, you were just starting to do that, and you were thinking, 10%? Like, how, I could do all these things with this money, and it was an issue of, I'm going to do this out of obedience, and I'm going to trust God. And then when you see God come through and be faithful and provide for you, ways that you thought you weren't going to be able to make ends meet financially, and you see God come through and provide for you, when you take a step of faith not sure where you're going, and you see God provide, when you take a step of faith and pray for miracles, and you see God come through, when we abide in Christ, when we see him, when we get to know him, our level of trust goes up, right? Our level of trust goes up. We trust him. And when we trust God, the more we trust him, our level of anxiety and fear goes down. It has to work that way. It's like a, a seesaw. You put trust on one side. As trust goes up, 
anxiety and fear goes down. It's just the way it works. The more you trust God, the more your fear goes down. I fully believe the level to which we will see joy in our life is the level to which we trust God. Now, some of you are more uh, analytical thinking and you just want facts and science, so I have it worked out here. Next slide. Throw that up there. This is our math equation. There it is right there. Trust equals joy. When we trust God, see, you might want to write that down. That's pretty, pretty heavy stuff. I've been helping Lucy with some, getting caught up on some math work, and uh, she is, it was logarithms, and uh, she is well past the point where I understand anything about her math now in high school, but I understand that. The more you trust God, anxiety is going to go down, and when anxiety goes down, joy, like fruit in a garden, can flourish. Think of anxiety as like the weeds that grow up when you plant a garden. They choke out all the life. When you can get rid of the weeds, the healthy stuff can grow. When you trust God and anxiety goes down, joy is going to flourish. I want to illustrate this this way. I was thinking this week. Family vacations as a young boy, as the kid, versus family vacations as the grown-up. Okay, As the kid, I remember family vacations just being carefree, so fun. Back then, we didn't have to wear seatbelts all the time, or maybe we were supposed to and we just didn't. We'd fold down the seats in the station wagon and lay out the sleeping bags, and you know, we didn't have all the fancy electronics. We would just lay there. My parents would drive through the night. We'd fall asleep. It was a great time. I didn't know where we were staying. Sometimes my dad would be like, we're staying right here on the, in the rest stop. We're going to sleep here. We're not paying for that hotel. I mean, there's certain things like that that my dad would do, but it was carefree. I didn't know the agenda. I didn't know where we were staying. I didn't have to worry about how we were going to pay for it. I just knew it was going to be fun. You know, you've been there as a kid, family road trips. Maybe your family road trips were not good experiences, and this is a bad analogy. But for me as a kid, and maybe you can relate, family vacation was easy. Mom and dad were doing all the organizational heavy lifting. They were taking care of all the stress and pressure, and it was just fun. Now, as the dad, I am learning Man, it is harder to have fun on family vacation. We just took a vacation to Southern California a couple months ago with the whole family. That was, it's more stressful. I'm like, okay, well, when are we, flights and airports and transportation and we're staying here and how much does this cost? We're going to Disney and how much does Disney cost? I just financially alone, I felt like all I did was walk around Southern California for five days, handing out $100 bills everywhere I went. It was just, I was making it rain in Southern California as the dad. I was just like, this is not as much fun. Like, in a road trip, yeah, how many times are you answering? Are we there yet? We're not there yet. I'll tell you, Dottie, when we get there, the dad, it's been six minutes since we've had lunch, since we stopped and had lunch, so we want ice cream. No, we're going to keep driving. We're going to get the, you know, as the dad, it's much more high stress. As the dad, you feel all the pressure. It takes away some of the fun. Well, I think the same thing is with life. I think the reason kids are so joyful a lot of the time is they don't have this pressure. They don't have the stress. They're not worrying about all the things, all the grown-up things. So I want to encourage us, and myself included today, to think about life like a family vacation. To think about life with our heavenly Father. Imagine life like that. You have a heavenly Father who has charted the course. You have a heavenly Father who is providing for you, who is directing you, who knows where he wants to lead you. He knows the stops along the way. He knows the, the seasons you're going to go through. You have a heavenly father who is going to be with you the whole time, who is strong and powerful and faithful to provide, who is not short of any resource. 
You have this heavenly Father who is going to guide you through life, and now that should free us up to enjoy life a little more, right? To enjoy the ride a little bit more, to let go of some of these pressures and anxieties and stresses that we feel, realizing our dad, our heavenly Father, is taking care of all that stuff. He's doing all the heavy lifting, and we can trust him. What if, really practically speaking, Anytime you started feeling anxious about something, financially, family-related, career-related, anything, this week when you started feeling anxious, and I've started doing this this past week because I had a head start because I was studying this, but anytime you start feeling anxious, you simply remind yourself, you say to yourself, my Heavenly Father has got this. My Heavenly Father has got this. He's leading. He's providing. He's healing. He's mending. He's moving. He's directing Instead of getting all worked up trying to be God ourselves, why don't we let him do it? Why don't we let him do it? Why don't we let him handle all these anxieties, lay our burdens down before him, and simply choose to be joyful instead? When we try to carry, manage, control everything ourselves, we lose joy quickly, right? When you try to manage, when you try to manage every detail and try to prevent anything bad from happening and control everyone close to you so that their behavior doesn't stress you out, and when you try to manage, just be control freak over everything, you lose joy quickly. I don't know too many really controlling people that are very joyful. I don't know too many of them. When we trust God enough to let go of some of these things, trust equals joy. One other illustration. Next picture. We're going to throw this up there. Okay, that right there, that funny looking dude, that's Nicholas Copernicus. Okay, you've heard of Copernicus. He was alive. He was a scientist, an astronomer in the 16th century. Okay, now he came up with the heliocentric solar system. This idea, before Nicholas Copernicus, everybody knew that the, ga- the solar system, the earth was the center, and the sun and everything else revolved around the earth. That we on the earth were the center, and everything revolved around us. And Copernicus was the first guy to come and say, I don't think that's right. I think the sun is the center of the solar system, and we revolve, all the planets revolve around the sun. This was, I mean, it shouldn't seem like a big deal. This was like controversial. This was not received well, even by the Catholic Church, by Martin Luther. This was like condemned as heresy, that someone would say that the earth was not the center of the solar system. But eventually, we all know that our friend Copernicus here was right. He was proven right. He faced a lot of grief for that view. He was seen as a heretic for that view. But he was proven right. The sun is the center of the solar system. We on the earth are not. Why am I telling you this? What does this have to do with joy? Here is a huge lesson for joy. Here is a huge lesson for joy. If you want like a little sound bite tonight, it's this. It's Copernicus thinking and it is this. You are not the center of the universe, okay? You are not the center of the universe. When you see the sun, remind yourself of Nicholas Copernicus I'm not the center of the universe. It's not all revolving around me. If you want to have a joy killer in your life, be completely self-absorbed. And we love to be the center, don't we? We love it when things revolve around us. We like to be all-powerful. We like to be our source. We like to try to manage and control everything and everyone. We find ourselves getting 
getting upset when people just aren't doing the things the way I want them to do. If you find yourself thinking, man, if everybody in the world would just do things exactly how I want it, I would be the happiest guy in the world. No, that is not the source of joy. You are not the center of the universe. Sometimes a lack of joy in us is simply just self-absorption, self-centeredness, just thinking about ourselves. The Bible is very clear. If you want to experience joy, serve others. If you want to experience joy, lay down your life for others. There's something that doesn't quite add up in our human thinking to make that true, but it is the truth. When you lay down yourself for others, when you serve others, there is joy that comes from that. You are not the center of the universe. If you're finding yourself short-tempered or lacking in joy, And I've been telling this to myself as my joy fuel gauge has been running a little low lately. If you're finding yourself short-tempered, joyless, if you're finding yourself down and frustrated so easily, maybe you're finding yourself just easily getting angered at people, anxious or worried, the solution is not for everyone to do things the way you want. The solution is for you to stop trying to be God and controlling everything, right? The solution is for you to stop. Maybe you could give a a, a fan amen to that. The solution is for you to stop trying to control everything and making yourself the center. The more you try to be God, the more you try to be your provider and protector, the more anxiousness goes up and joy gets choked out. It just happens. It just happens. I see it in my life. I read it in Scripture. I've seen it in others. The more you try to do that and elevate yourself and be God, the more anxious you will be, and the more joy will get choked out. And this is by design. This is the way God designed us, because he wants to be God. He does not want us to try to be God. And we try so often, and we realize, sometimes through painful reminders, that we are terrible gods. We are terrible at managing our life. We are terrible at controlling everything. And the sooner we realize that we are terrible gods and that we should trust in him, the one true God, the sooner we can start abiding in him, relying on his provision and strength and guidance, allowing his spirit his new life to take root in us and to grow in us and to change us. And then we will see fruit from that. And the sooner we will see joy, the sooner we realize we can trust in the one true God, we will see joy in our life.